Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So this is um, from a book called Swampland Flowers, and it's written by a Zen master, Tahui, and I might be saying his name wrong. Um, it was written a long time ago. So I'm just going to read you a little paragraph to start that I really like. The obstruction of the path by the mind and its conceptual discrimination is worse than poisonous snakes or fierce tigers. Why? Because poisonous snakes and fierce tigers can still be avoided, whereas intelligent people make the mind's conceptual discrimination their home. And so there's never a single instant, whether they're walking, standing, sitting, or lying down, that they're not having dealings with it. As time goes on, unknowing and unawares, they become one piece with it, and not because they want to either, but because since beginning list time, they have followed this one little road until it's become set and familiar. Though they may see through it for a moment and wish to detach from it, they still can't. Thus, it is said that poisonous snakes and fierce tigers can still be avoided, but the mind's conceptual discrimination truly has no place for you to escape. Feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love the part about um, since beginningless time, they have followed this one little road until it's become set and familiar. And this is one of the dilemmas and the obstacles in our practice that we're so used to this mind chattering, chattering away, discriminating, thinking, liking, disliking, telling a story about you and other people, it becomes this one little road, and it then becomes the only road, and we're stuck. And that's what we have to break in our practice. And in order to break that, we need faith. We need faith. Faith in ourselves, our capacity to practice, to solve it like the Buddha solved it. Why not us? Faith in the teachers and the teaching and the Dharma and the readings, right? And faith in our capacity to awaken from that one little road. So we need the faith. And sometimes we get so lost on the road, the faith is small and we don't realize it. Poem, which I have to get to. So this is a poem about faith by David White. I want to write about faith, about the way the moon rises over cold snow, night after night, faithful even as it fades from fullness. 
slowly becoming that last curving and impossible sliver of light before the final darkness. But I have no faith in myself. I refuse it, even the smallest entry. Let this then, my small poem, like a new moon, slender and barely open, be the first prayer that opens me to faith. So for us, sometimes our faith in our practice is like a new moon. It's a little sliver. Will this really help this um, proliferating mind? I can get away from the poisonous snake, but I can't stop my mind from driving me crazy, right? And getting stuck in it. Yeah. We need to cultivate that faith. We need to cultivate that faith. And uh, I really believe that one of the reasons why it's so difficult is because of um, this human being has a lot of vulnerability. There's a lot of vulnerability, particularly around difficulty and um in our culture, shame and not enoughness, feeling diminished or less than, um, fear, anxiety, the things the Buddha would call the defilements, which is not a great word, <laughs> right? It's just not a great word. But these vulnerabilities that we um, that come, it, they come with the uh, mind. They come with the apparatus. We don't have a choice. It's you purchased it, it's here, right? <laughs> so I think when this vulnerability arises, and it arises all the time, that um, we fall into our uh, into delusion, spacing out, or trying to get busy, or avoid, or use other strategies to feel better. And so we miss the practice there. We need to have more faith in the practice to get us through that. So I want to talk a little bit about vulnerability, um, and I loved seeing Brene Brown on Netflix. You guys watched, did you watch, um, wow, very lovely little talk she gave. And so, um, so what are some definitions of vulnerability? How, does anybody want to take a stab of how would you describe vulnerability? Being open. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Allowing. Allowing. Emotionally fragile. Emotionally fragile. Mm -hmm. Risking. Risking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The reason why I got so interested in it, she was talking about um, talking to a young man. And um, he was saying, you know, I really love your work because vulnerability and courage whoops <laughs> uh, are opposite I've got it yeah they're opposites right and uh, she was saying to this man this young man no they're the same they're the same and he would say no to be courageous you can't be vulnerable and she was saying to be vulnerable you are courageous and I think this is a misperception in our culture and in our Western psyche, and particularly with men, but women too, you know? So I'm going to give you a definition. Um, courage, vulnerability, 
is uh, the courage to show up when you can't control the outcome, which is what, 100% of life, I'm guessing? Yeah. Uh, emotional exposure, exposing yourself emotionally, uh, facing uncertainty and risk. And Brene Brown says it's the birthplace of love, belonging, courage, joy, empathy, resilience. Not a sign of weakness, um, but a sign of strength and growth, and particularly in our practice and as Dharma students, a sign of courage to show up. And um, <clears throat> it's, it's the opposite of sinking into that shame and not wanting to be seen. So it's important to, to look at it even in our practice, um, what we do with our vulnerability. And uh, I think what we tend to do is we um, create a second arrow around any kind of shame, incapacity, feeling less than, think w around difficulty. Um, a, a rough situation arises or a difficult situation arises and uh, we feel that vulnerable feeling and then we tend to throw another arrow at it like I shouldn't feel that way I feel bad for feeling that way let me push that away so we're always in the state of pushing away pushing away pushing away a couple of times in the last few weeks I've been in a therapy session with an, a new person and um, they'll come in I'll say what brings you here a problem is showing up in their lives, a situation of stress. Um, and there's this moment, this pause, this anxious pause, a few of you are nodding, and they'll say, oh, it's just so hard to say how I feel, to open up to my feelings. I feel so vulnerable. So many of us were taught not to feel. And if you do feel something, don't talk about it, especially if it's vulnerable. You know, we're, we push it away. I mean, men are taught it's not manly, and women are taught just forget about it, um, just be a good girl, be a nice girl, smile. So culturally, we don't have an easy time sitting with what is difficult. And yet, all of the Buddhist teachings point to being with in a mindful way, in body and mind, staying with what's difficult, to penetrate it for the truth, and building a resilience around it and an equanimity. So we must pause in our practice and see that habit pattern when a vulnerability arises, how we contract. We contract and push it away, and we go a little unconscious. We move away from it, and the Buddha's invitation is to get closer, to come and sit with it, sit with it, see, see what it's about, see what it's about. So, and the vulnerability comes from outer conditions and inner conditions and vulnerability can be really subtle we were talking in the communication class that sometimes you could be in a dialogue with someone um, and your eyes connect and the feeling internally are they going to like me 
do they think I'm enough? Am I inadequate? Are they going to think I'm not for real? Are they going to reject me? I mean, that vulnerability is right there. The eye makes contact. And that something simple, it can be right there. Right there. Just as simple as that. To see the high sensitivity of being human and to have so much compassion for that process. And then curiosity. Uh, how do we unpack it? And all these things give us the capacity to cultivate a courageous inquiring mind around it. You know, it's what we're trying. We're going to those small, narrow places uh, in our psyche. And we're doing it because we want to be less reactive, less shut down, less deluded about it. That's why it's so hard to teach sometimes Things like when we say greed, hatred, and delusion, you just go like, oh, I'm already not feeling good about myself. Don't make me not feel more good about myself. So we don't want to look closely at what happens in the mind. Right? So faith is setting the intention to face life in a different way, with deep clarity, peace, and compassion, and an intuitive intelligence. And to recognize these habit patterns in our mind that lead us to greed, hatred, and delusion. But, you know, when I say greed, hatred, and delusion, I know for years I would just, my mind would get real dull and I'd go, oh yeah, that again. They're talking about that again. No, really, what is your greed and clinging? How does that cause suffering? What is your pushing away? How does that cause suffering? How do you get foggy? and spaced out when things get difficult or challenging or you just don't want to be there for it. How is that? That's what the Buddha is asking us to go right there. There, there. That, and to get some interest in energy around that. So, this is from Martin Luther King. Uh, faith is taking the first step when you can't see the staircase. So our faith is lighting up our practice when we can't even see. Um, so I'm going to read. I've been thinking a lot about this quote, and you all may have heard this. I was thinking a lot about it. Um, so Ajahn Chah, who is a uh, meditation master in uh, Burma or Thailand, one of the two, um, one of our root teachers in the Theravada tradition, he was um, sitting with a bunch of students, and the students were kind of saying, well, you know, you teach us don't be attached, let go, non-attachment, don't cling, but we see you with your cup where you have your tea every morning, and you seem to be clinging to that cup, you love that cup, so what is that about? <laughs> and he says, um, you see this goblet? For me, this glass is already broken. I enjoy it. I drink out of it. It holds my water admirably, sometimes even reflecting the sun in beautiful patterns. If I should tap it, it has a lovely ring to it. But when I put the glass on the shelf and the wind knocks it over, or my elbow brushes it off the table and it falls to the ground and shatters, I say, of course. 
When I understand that the glass is already broken, every moment is precious. Mm. So I heard him some mm there. I, I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> uh, I remember one time I was meditating in an all day. I don't know if Jane was there, but Jane and I go back a bit. And uh, I, I was presented with a, uh, a vase of flowers because I had offered to volunteer to help in some way, and I did. It, I didn't expect anything in return, and they gave me this vase of flowers. But there was a crack in the vase. And um, everybody in the room shouted, the glass is already broken. <laughs> and I was really new to Buddhism, not to meditation, to Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So my all day was about, hey, help me clear my head. I don't want to think anymore. That's what I love. That's why I loved meditation back then, was I just wanted a still mind. I love the peace of a concentrated mind and the joy and the deliciousness of that state. So I always went wherever I could to meditate. I didn't really come to hear the glass is already broken. <laughs> Outing myself, right? I didn't, that wasn't that interesting to me, you know? And uh, so I heard that and I just, you know, like, and, and a lot of the teachings, it took a while for it to sink in. What is he saying? It's already broken. Why is that important? How does that lead to freedom? How does that lead to seeing things clearly? It's like a fabulous teaching, right? You're nodding. Anybody want to say anything about that? How, do you, how does that land on you this morning? That we live according to our fears about what might happen. And the fact is, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. If, if I'm worried about what that biopsy is going to show, and I already assume that I'm terminal, it's a different thing. And it's okay. I'm going to die someday. Mm. You know, I mean, that's easy to say. Believe you me, I'm not there, but I mean, I get it intellectually, anyway. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Yes. It makes it precious. When you said it makes it yeah. precious, it makes you mindful of the present moment. And like you said, the glass reflected the sun that's transient. And so he could enjoy it and be with it in the moment and, and not also take it for granted about taking for granted the glass is already <coughs> broken if we know we're going to die everything is precious while we're here well, we have to be here <laughs> i think when you're afraid to if you're afraid of losing something you can't really like enjoy it fully and it's a shame because then you're just stuck in this like constant feeling of fear and to live your life in that kind of fear, it's just set, it's just like a waste. And I mean, I lived like that for a long time, and I still do, you know? <laughs> I try to remember not to be fearful of losing things, but just like enjoy it while it's here. But that's very, it is very difficult to do. Yes? Uh, I think it's just once you understand that, you know, everything is impermanent, then you are free to enjoy everything for what it is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 
I, I immediately went to acceptance, but uh, but then uh, right after that, I, 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 I'm involved in a conflict. I, I mean, I, I think I get the idea that has been expressed already, but the idea that, so what's my responsibility? When, when, when do I not accept? When do I stand up? So I don't know. I immediately went there. So I don't know what that means, but that's right. Anybody else want to say anything? I, I can say uh, that's where I love the serenity prayer of grant me the serenity. Or we would say, grant me the wisdom. That's what we're working towards, the wisdom to know, right? <laughs> what I can change, what I can't, right? Does everybody know that serenity prayer? Yes, you all know. Okay, yeah. Yes, yes. Because uh, it's true, there are some things we can change. Um, one of the famous um, Advaita teachers, Papaji, that people have followed, he's a huge following all over the world. I think he was teaching around the 60s and 70s. And people would go to Arunachala, this mountain where he lived, to sit with him. And they'd sit for, some people would sit for years. And uh, there was um, a group that lived over the uh, garage of an auto shop. And the auto shop uh, people would work on cars day and night, seven days a week. And it was horribly, horribly noisy. And they couldn't meditate and practice. And they asked him, you know, what do I do? It's so noisy. I can't sit. I can't sit. And he said, move. <laughs> <laughs> We have to develop that wise discrimination. There are times to move, right? And, and times to practice with it. So, um, so yeah. Uh, so to see the preciousness, if, sometimes if we can see that it's already broken, then we're not going to be so picky with our loved ones. I, I will refrain from saying to my sons, when are you going to get a haircut? Right? Or things like that, right? Or just that pick, pick, pick that we do, right? They're never quite good enough, right? If, yes? Well, that just reminded me of um, a new lease car, and I put a little thing in it, and I just remembered what I learned a while ago, that when Native Americans make a blanket or a painting, they leave something off. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I thought, okay, car. We're good now. <laughs> yeah. Isn't can that I, wonderful? Can yeah. I accept? Yes. Can I accept that it isn't that, and that it's this, and that is that okay with here? That's the work. Yes, you see, we have this beautiful invitation to really see what impermanence is in our lives what it truly is, that there's nothing that can be clung to. But in order to sit with that and let it penetrate, we have to be vulnerable. We have to even ding our little concept of I, me, and mine. That needs a ding, too. It gets dinged. And we have to sit with that. We have to learn to sit with that, to sit it and see it all the way through. I also thought about the fire sermon um, that has been coming up for me and uh, have you guys heard the fire sermon mm -hmm. it's one of my favorites 
of what the Buddha taught. And it just comes back and it hits me in the back of the head. And, you know, you sort of, it kind of, it's one that slaps you around when you hear it. <laughs> and, and I'll read, I don't know how much I'll read, but I'll start. Uh, monks, he's addressing the monks uh, at Gaia. Monks, the all is a flame. What all is a flame? The eye, I see, I've got a different one here. It's burning. Monks, all is burning, is the word, burning. What is burning? The eye is burning. Forms are burning. Consciousness <laughs> at the eye is burning. Contact at the eye is burning. And whatever there is that arises in dependence on contact of the eye experiences pleasure, experienced as pain, or neither pleasure nor pain. That too is burning. Burning with what? Burning with the fire of greed or passion, the fire of aversion, the fire of delusion. Burning, I tell you, with birth, aging, and death, with sorrow, lamentations, pain, distresses, and despairs. And he goes on to say, the ear is burning, sounds are burning, the nose is burning, aromas are burning, the tongue is burning, flavors are burning, the body is burning, tactile sensations are burning. And he goes on and on like that. And uh, this is such an amazing sutta an amazing teaching to really bring your awareness to that point where every contact that we are coming in touch with is coming and going, it's coming and going, it's coming and going, we're coming and going. Each piece is blowing up. It's gone. And when we could grasp that on some level, there's some freedom because we're not clinging or attached to it or identifying as a self. And notice where your pain is. It, your pain is in your identity. I need this to work out for me in the way that I want it now. And I want others to behave the way I want them to behave now. Right? He's breaking that down from, you know, he's, he's breaking that up. He's blowing it up. Um, and then he talks about how um, we, we grow, seeing thus the well-instructed disciple uh, of the noble ones grows disenchanted with the eye, disenchanted with forms, disenchanted with consciousness of the eye, disenchanted with contact of the eye, and whatever there is that arises in dependence or contact. Whatever arises experiences pleasure or pain or neither pleasure or pain. Nothing was written down, so there's a lot of repetition in his thing. He grows disenchanted with the ear, disenchanted with the nose, disenchanted with the intellect, with ideas. Um, through dispassion, he is fully released. With full release, there is knowledge. Fully released, he discerns. That birth is ended, the holy life is fulfilled, the task is done. And it's pretty big language. But what he's saying is when you bring awareness to that moment, 
when you're caught in something and you bring awareness to it, what happens? Relief, freedom. There's isn't suffering. Wisdom emerges. You see things the way they are much more with clarity. You have discretion. You're not so reactive. You can behave in a in a skillful way. You can see the illusion that you're getting caught up with. Yeah. So it's a good one to read. How things are burning. They're burning. So what I'd like us to do is to take some time in small group of twos and threes or fours. And um, <clears throat> whatever has arisen for you in this talk or this morning would be good to share about. Um, faith, faith in your practice. Let's get back to that before we uh, meet in the groups. I think faith is the ability in your capacity to work through the delusion, the illusion, and some of the habit patterns that keep us stuck. And uh, faith is what we need to keep going, to keep, to keep showing up for our practice and ourselves. And hopefully this talk and our being together uh, today, just like this, builds our faith. Like the new moon, we come back to those vulnerable moments and those difficult moments and see our strength and resilience and courage and break that tendency to be aversive to our vulnerable moments. They're moments of practice. Anybody like to share what came up? Yes. I like to share. Um, I was. We were talking, and what came up for me was... Um, I went to a my aunt's 90th birthday party last night, and um, quite a bit of family came in, New Jersey, Florida, Arizona, Northern California, but one of the cousins that flew in um, has been recently diagnosed, her cancer has metastasized mm -hmm. to the liver and possibly the lungs. She's been doing chemo every week. And how she got on that plane and came for this celebration was just truly amazing. Um, she was in a middle seat. She couldn't get her seat changed. And she's been having trouble keeping stuff down. But for me, it, you know, what came up was the strength, the vulnerability of germs and God knows what. And just what it took for her to make this trip to celebrate the 90-year-old aunt was mm -hmm. over the top. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for sharing sure. that. Thank you so much. Yes? Um, actually, Dana brought up a brilliant point about impermanence in terms of parenting. That the minute we have children, we realize that you know eventually they'll have to move and you know leave home, mm -hmm. so that they're already broken when you have them. Mm -hmm. so that's not broken is probably the worst word to use, but <laughs> <laughs> in terms of a glass being broken. Mm -hmm. 
I thought that was a brilliant, um, I know, a brilliant observation. Yeah. Yes, I, um, when you defined the word vulnerable, <coughs> totally was a, like, 180 for me, because I always thought of vulnerable being a sign of weakness, you know, when you're vulnerable, people take advantage of you, when you're vulnerable, people hurt you, you know, when you're, you know what I mean? So I had not thought of it, so I want to listen again to things you said and get the definition and the way of thinking about it a little differently. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Renee Brown, right? Yeah. Power of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Netflix. It's on Netflix now. Well, and, and I think she has many TED Talks yes, that you can see on YouTube. Yeah. And some books. And some books. Yeah. Yeah. Daring Greatly. Daring Greatly. Yeah. Yes. You know, when you talked about vulnerability, I had a thought. Vulnerability is one of those words that mean a lot of different things. So if I'm getting ready to go over the Golden Gate Bridge and I'm informed that it's vulnerable, that's not a good thing for me. <laughs> so, you know, that's not the way Brene Brown meant the word because it can be open and, and all of that. But it can also mean, re I mean, it clearly does. When I was just thinking, well, maybe it's solid things being vulnerable, like your roads and you know, your security in the nation and stuff, you know, if, if uh, our counterintelligence is vulnerable, I don't think that's a good thing. So we have to realize it's a word that's used so many different ways and only in context does it have any valence in terms of good or bad. I wanted to bring it up around our practice and deepening our practice. Uh, one thing I noticed in these years of teaching is vulnerability becomes an obstacle to deepen the path. Because these thoughts when I am inadequate as a meditator, or I am inadequate as a student of the Dharma, or I feel ashamed about something, that's a place where we get stuck on the path. And it's hard for us to move past, because that habit pattern of shutting down or giving up or just not coming back, not wanting to look at it, not wanting to get past it, it really becomes an obstacle to break through. I've seen that, um, particularly in the Buddhist path classes. Like we would go through the Eightfold Path or the Four Noble Truths or uh, the Five Factors of Awakening, you know, all these things we talk about in Theravada, and I would just see people get stuck in a shame attack or um, a vulnerability hangover, as Brene Brown says, and, and not be able to get past it because we're so habituated on freezing up around shame or feeling less or running. Fight, flight, or freeze comes in. So we really need to bring our awareness to those tender places and let them open, open a little, open a little. Yes. It, it makes me think, you know, that vulnerability, the willingness to show up, as you're talking about, and with some of the teachings were my thought process, and I was sharing a little bit about, oh, heck, I should know that. I, mm -hmm. I know, you know, impermanence, and then I'm clinging, I want it to be this way. I should know these things, or I should know these techniques to help me because I've studied it long enough and I don't. 
and let me not tell anybody that mm. I well, how do I grow? Where's my faith in it? How do I grow through it if I'm not willing to show up? And being vulnerable to say, and I too get stuck there over and over again. Because we're human. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that big piece. We're human. Yeah. What do you do about like mean people? <laughs> like, do I have to be vulnerable with mean people? Because it's like I don't want to just open myself up to like a shame attack by someone else who like takes. If I like expose myself to them deeply, then this is just maybe like a mean person that I know has been like mean in the past or something, for example. And then they just like want to use that against me and make me like feel bad in front of a group of people for example. Like, I think, is it okay to just not be vulnerable with that person, but maybe try to be vulnerable with other people and see how it goes? Yeah. <laughs> we we want to be skillful. Uh, right. What are those Move. Time to move. Move. Right, because let's talk about that internally. Think of somebody that you don't feel safe with for whatever reason. I can think of somebody immediately. I, it doesn't take that long, right? They're great teachers for us because you could get stuck in your aversion to them and your anger and defend yourself. Or this is an opportunity to uh, see it see the eye that we took ourselves to be that we're protecting so much. Or see the pain underneath. Or see the pain underneath and sit with yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Allow it to be. But then you don't want to go back and like keep putting yourself in that situation, do you? No. Correct. Okay. Correct. And we cultivate compassion. An understanding. Right? We cultivate compassion. Before I, I came here, I was reading, somebody giving me a book that Ram Das had written about the dying process that's just wonderful. And he said um, he was sitting with his teacher and they were talking about his mother. And um, in just a little bit of a moment, he could see his mother not from an egoic way, all the harms that come from a mother-child relationship are the whole field of therapy is based on that, right? Uh, but from compassion, from her soul's journey and who she was and how she showed up in the world and the release of that, that sometimes people come into our lives that challenge us and they really um, challenge our compassion and our empathy. I read something today also that said... Uh, it's not the stick that hurts, it's the emotional trauma of the person who is wielding that stick. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that difficulty is a challenge 
The worst thing about a difficult person for me is how they live on in my head rent free. <laughs> just keep going over it and going over That's the real torture, not the person. How I internalize it and then it doesn't stop. The mind just clings to that. Why? And you can't get peace. Like two in the morning, you hear the story again. Like, this is how we suffer, right? Because the mind clung to this story and move, right? Move, move. Yeah, 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 yeah. We love those stories. Yeah. Have you had that experience? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Many times. <laughs> You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.